It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. This is going to be one of the most edifying episodes of Discover Your Spiritual Identity that you've ever listened to. I guarantee it because this revelation has given me eagle wings, and I pray the same thing happens for you. God refers to his people in the book of Revelation as overcomers. He doesn't call us the overwhelmed. He doesn't call us the overanxious. He doesn't call us the overpowered. He calls us overcomers, and that's God's decision in advance for us, the identity, the role that he has chosen for us to fill. So let's explore it. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, and this is the Aramaic Bible in plain English, and I like the way it's worded in this particular version. I will grant the overcomer to sit with me on my throne just as I have overcome, and I sit with my Father on his throne. There is no position in God's great universe any more victorious than sharing the throne of God, because that's the position of authority, that's the position of power, that's the position of dominion, that's the position of victory, that's the position of rest, and that is the position of decree. In other words, when you're seated, when you're enthroned with Christ in heavenly places, you can decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. You can speak with God-given authority in alignment with his will. Now, that's going to become the crowning revelation of what I share in the remainder of the program. We'll come back to being enthroned with the Lord, but we've got to lay some other truths as foundation stones first. Let's go all the way back to Numbers chapter 13. This is when the 12 spies have been sent by Moses into the land of Canaan in order to spy out the land in order to come back with a strategy about how to take the land in the name of the Lord. And when they came back, 10 of the spies brought back, according to the King James Version, an evil report. And I like to say it that way because unbelief is evil. It is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. They had their excuses. They said, there's giants in the land. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So were we in their sight because the way you see yourself is the way the enemy sees you. Watch that wording again. We were in our own eyes as grasshoppers and so were we in their eyes. And so that's the way it works. Also with demonic powers, if you feel timid, intimidated, if you feel fearful and cringe at the thought of encountering a demon spirit, then you see yourself weak and you see the demonic as strong. But if you see yourself as a son of God 
who can tear down strongholds in the name of the Lord by the power of the blood of Jesus, you are unintimidated, then the way you see yourself is the way the enemy sees you. Only two of the 12 had a faith report, and that was, of course, Joshua and Caleb. And listen to what Caleb said to Moses. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, the others saw how big the land was and how unmanageable it would be. They saw how big the giants were and how impossible to defeat they would be. But Joshua and Caleb didn't look at the bigness of the challenge or the bigness of the opposition. They looked at the bigness of their God. Because to be honest with you, that was a ridiculously insane statement in the natural we are well able to overcome. Wait just a second. The Israelites had been slaves for nearly 400 years. They had never been trained as soldiers. They were not experienced on the battlefield. They had no weaponry as far as we know, except maybe a little that they recovered when Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea. Who knows? They might have Uh, found a few swords or maybe gotten a chariot or two, but they didn't have the equipment that the Canaanite tribes had developed over decades. Neither did they have the training. So Caleb was depending on one thing to bring ability to the forefront. We are well able to overcome it. Why? Because we are in covenant with the creator of the universe. And if God before you Who can be against you? I challenge you to look at your challenges and decide not on the basis of your abilities, not on the basis of who's for you or who's against you, but on the basis of the covenant connection you have with God. Look your challenge right in the face and say, I am well able to do this in the name of the Lord. I can do it. I have weapons of warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now let me take you to a figure, a personality in the Bible that should get our admiration far more than even Caleb. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has just told his followers that they're going to betray him. He's already informed them that he's going away. And this is the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, some of the last words Jesus spoke before he went to the cross. And then after he tells them the dilemma that they're going to face, how they're all going to forsake him, he says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you have peace. Now, if I was the Messiah and I had just told my followers they were going to show cowardice instead of courage and turn their back on me. I don't think I would say, fellas, I'm going to share some revelation with you that will give you peace. But that's the love of Jesus. That's a level of love I haven't attained to yet, I guess. These things I've spoken unto you that in me you may have peace. Now listen to the next part closely. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise. If I could see your hands, I'd ask how many have had that promise fulfilled in your life. Raise your hand. All right. In the world, you will have tribulation. Inevitable in one form or another, 
it's going to come. He didn't say if the storm comes. He said when the storm comes in another parable. But he said, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Watch the wording closely. He has not yet faced the worst that the world can throw at him. Oh, he's been rejected by the scribes and Pharisees. He was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came to his own and his own received him not. And yes, they called him a blasphemer and said he was of Beelzebub, which is a name for Satan that means Lord of the flies or God of the dung, which are both very appropriate uh, interpretations of that name, which I believe is the best name you could use for the wicked one. Uh, he had not faced the worst yet. He had not gone to Gethsemane and sweated blood in agony of prayer. He had not yet been beaten in Pilate's hall. He had not yet been nailed to a cross, nor has he been put into a grave. But he puts it in the past tense. He says, I have overcome the world. Why could he say that? Number one, because he knew he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but he also knew that it was impossible for death to hold him. So he was speaking from a divine perspective, embracing past, present, and future simultaneously. And so from a future stance, he was looking back over what he was about to face and saying, I have overcome the world. And that could be the reason he put it that way. Or it could have been the fact that he knew that no matter what the world did against him, the Father's presence with him was enough to secure his victory in whatever he had to go through. And I believe we should have the same kind of mindset. We can also say, I have overcome the world. Even though there's yet to be trials in the future, tribulations, temptations, difficulties, successes, failures, ups and downs in my future, I can still gaze into my tomorrows and say, I already have overcome the world. How can I be that sure? Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And not only that, he is able to keep that which we commit unto him against that day. And that day could be a reference to the day of judgment. It could be a reference to the final day of wrath that will fall on this planet, or it could be that day where everything goes wrong that could go wrong. But he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him, that which you have committed unto him against that day. So I dare you once again to lift your hand. If you're driving, don't lift both hands, just one, and say, I already have overcome the world because I've already got weapons of warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, it gets even deeper, and I want you to go with me, because this is a revelation that will undergird you, that will give you eagle wings, and you're going to soar from this point forward. You may say, well, Jesus can say that, but I'm just an ordinary human being. I can't say that. Yes, you can, because 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Blanket statement. Period. Not a question mark. 
whatever is born of God, and if you've been born of the Spirit, if Jesus Christ lives in your heart, this is for you. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. See, your faith is stronger than anything that can hit you in the face. Just keep believing, child of God. Keep believing in the blood. Keep believing in the name of Jesus. Keep believing that God's mercy endures forever. Keep believing that the word of God in you is strong. Keep believing that the enemy outside of you is weak, and we're going to undergird those two statements with other scriptures in just a moment. Keep believing in the empty tomb, that the resurrected Savior is inside of you, resurrecting you every day, quickening you into newness of life. Praise God. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and if your hope is to overcome this world, then dare to speak the word of faith that I will overcome. And then take it one step further and say, I have overcome because God's already predestined and chosen and elected every child of God and granted you sufficient grace to make it through to the very end. Let me take you to 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. Now, John addresses young men, but I believe old men, young women and old women and in between can all take, the children too can receive this statement. John said, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Please repeat that with me if you can right now. The word of God abides in me. Say it again. The word of God abides in me. Not just in my mind because I've memorized some scriptures, but see the, the, the mystery of the matter is that you and I have been begotten of the word of God. There was a certain point where someone shared the word with you and that seed of the word entered into you found fertile ground, and it germinated, and then the Holy Spirit came, and you were birthed into the identity of a son or a daughter of God. So the Word is a part of your nature. No wonder you're living epistles. You're the epistle of Christ, read of all men, because the Word is very much a part of your nature. It's not something external that you believe in. It's something internal that's transformational that the word of God entered into you at a certain point and changed your character to align with the word of God. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Now listen to the next part. And you have overcome the wicked one. I had an English teacher, a dear friend of mine, Eric Vernelson, who was also a pastor, tell me that's not the past tense there, that's the present perfect tense. I said, I've been out of high school long enough to forget what that is. <laughs> he said, well, it's something that happens in the past, but it continues to the present. And of course, the implication is it's going to continue on into the future. I can see that. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. It started the moment the word of God entered into your heart and has continued all the way through up to this point, because no matter what problem you face in life, there is a promise in God's word that is stronger than the problem. So you already have overcome. 
you may say, well, what if I get sick, but I don't recover from it? Then another promise kicks into gear. One way or the other, the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. If no other promise is fulfilled, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God. So you already have overcome, and that continues on into the future because the written word is inside of you. Thy word have I hid in my heart, David said, that I might not sin against you. All right, it gets even stronger. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to read verse 4, and then I'm going to go back to verse 1 of that chapter and explain it. John said, you are of God, little children. Doesn't that feel good to say that? I am of God. You are of God. What an elite and wonderful group to be a part of, not to awaken pride in us. It should awaken humility and gratitude in us that we would ever be included in such a chosen generation. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you remember, 1 John 2.14 says you have overcome the wicked one. Why? Because there is nothing in Satan's arsenal that is stronger than the weapons that you wield. I have faced Satan in a very manifested way several times in my journey, my 50-year-long journey of being a believer. And both times, or two of the three times, that he manifested himself to me where I actually saw the enemy, he was instantly overcome when I mentioned the blood of Jesus. He's terrified by the blood. You should not be terrified of the devil. The devil is terrified of you. You already have overcome the wicked one. But why did John put it in the plural? Why did he say you have overcome them? Who's them? Well, you've got to back up to verse 1 to find out. Let me read it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. It's talking about spiritual beings. Believe not every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he's not just talking about entities like demons. He's talking about people that are under the influence of demonic powers preaching a false gospel. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. There's a revelation associated with that. The spirit of Antichrist has been in the world from the very beginning, from Nimrod, when he tried to rebel against God's command to replenish the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And instead, he tried to gather the people together in a seven-city kingdom and build the Tower of Babel. Well, that was an Antichrist spirit then. And there's, of course, a lot of details that go into it. Uh, but you can trace it through the centuries and millennia, how different individuals have tried to bring the world under their dominion, only to be destroyed, only to be defeated, because it's a stolen position. Only Jesus has the right to be the ruler of this world, King of kings and Lord of lords. But anyway, 
Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist means anti-anointing. And the anointing is truth. So any spirit, be it a human being or a demon spirit influencing a human being or a demon spirit attacking you directly that is against the truth and fighting the truth is an antichrist spirit culminating in that individual that will be the epitome of the manifestation of antichrist. Then verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, it's not talking about the written word, but the living word, the rhema word. Because see, Jesus was the logos made flesh, but whenever he spoke, it was the rhema. He was the word made flesh, the entirety of the written word of God in a human body. But when he speaks into your life now, you believe in the logos, the written word, but from time to time you receive a rhema word, the living word. And the living Christ, the living Messiah is inside of you. So you already have overcome any demon spirit. That's something established in the past at the cross and at the empty tomb. It continues to the present and will continue unhindered into the future. You already have overcome any and every demon spirit that could ever come against you with any kind of strategy because Jesus in you is stronger, bigger, mightier, more powerful than any of them. And by the way, there's a misrepresented passage right here that I need to bring out. I've heard so many people into deliverance think that a person is finally delivered if they say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That is not a suitable test for freedom from demonic control because this was actually talking about the Gnostics. The Gnostics were a particular religious cult that believed Jesus never really was flesh. He was a phantom. He was a spirit that took upon himself the appearance of flesh, but he was really a spirit being, so he never really died, and because he never really died, he never really rose again. So they had a complete perversion of the gospel, and that's why John said, if anyone confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he's of God. He was referencing Gnostic doctrine. Thank God we've overcome. We've overcome false doctrine, too, because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he leads us and guides us into all truth. I've got one last passage of Scripture I want to bring out to you, and that is Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Now, we don't know exactly what period of time John is referencing, but he said, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, and they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Think of that. Every human being in one way or another has been deceived by satanic influence. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accuse them before our God day and night. 
Now listen to the next verse, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Because the third of those three requirements is what gives the first two power. If you're a self-serving, egotistical, rebellious person, you can't successfully live a victorious life by claiming the blood and speaking the word. It has to be on the basis of a life that is dethroned self and enthroned the Lord Jesus Christ. And it did not put it in the future tense, even though John is prophesying about the end of the age, which is probably on the horizon right now. Two millennia ahead of him still, he didn't say they will overcome. I see the church of the last days and they will overcome. No, he said they overcame him. Victory is so sure. The defeat of the devil is so certain and the shifting of power to the kingdom of God is so absolutely uh, a certainty that he put it in the past tense. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. No wonder, no wonder 1 John chapter 5 verse 5 says, he who overcomes the world is he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John put it in question form. He said, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So this is not some kind of self-help teaching. I'm not telling you to believe in yourself. I'm telling you to believe in Jesus because when you really connect with him, you connect with the overcomer whose overcoming grace overflows back into your life. And I told you at the beginning that this was something from eternity past because the scripture says that God gave you grace and a purpose in Christ before the world was. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And the God who anticipated your existence in advance gave you enough grace to overcome the devil, to overcome his demons, to overcome the lower nature, to overcome sin, to overcome confusion of mind, to overcome fears and doubts, to overcome hatred and greed, to overcome all the negatives in this world, to overcome death, hell, and the grave, the greatest adversaries of the human race. No wonder God calls you overcomers because you are seated with Christ, enthroned with him in heavenly places. He said, he that overcomes the same will sit with me in my throne. That's one of many rewards promised to the overcomer. And in the next episode, we're going to focus on all the mysterious and intriguing rewards promised to those who have this title, Overcomers Resting Upon Their Lives. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. 
We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be. 